us. Like, there's something missing from the podium this week. Yeah, the, the important thing. Um, I missed you guys last week, although I heard Jason did an excellent job. Uh, but I missed you guys. I missed you guys when I'm not here. Uh, normally, Maddie and I watch, uh, but there wasn't a live stream really last week until parsed way in the sermon because, uh, again, Pastor Sam didn't neglect it to do something. Every time I leave, over the past two, two to three years, right, because I didn't leave. I, I preached every Sunday at least the first year, and I think the second year as well, uh, which I would have kept done it doing, except for the board said I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, but <clears throat> every time I leave, there's another thing that I just do off the top of my head on a Sunday morning that I forget to write down or let somebody else know how it's supposed to be done so that it works right and stuff like that. And this week happened to be the live stream. Uh, you know, the last time I was gone, I, I neglected to tell mom to, what, what was it? I neglected to, oh, it, and it was all right, but I neglected to tell her to check the heat in the choir room. Now, when I got back, it was turned down because uh, uh, Jim and those guys do a great job of making sure the room is taken care of. But I remembered, I went, okay, next time I just got to write that down because I do a walkthrough, you know. Uh, but I missed you guys while I was gone, uh, and I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm also happy to be jumping back into the book of Acts with you guys. We're going to be spending a couple more weeks here in the book of Acts, uh, and then... Um, We'll do some stuff for, you know, Thanksgiving and stuff like that. By the way, I think it's in your bulletins. I don't have a bulletin in front of me. Uh, if somebody's got a bulletin, is the, is the Thanksgiving, what? Thank you. Uh, the 20th, you remember last year we did, our, uh, we did a, uh, our service downstairs in the Fellowship Hall and we had a great big potluck and a great meal and it was a lot of fun uh, and stuff like that. We're doing that again this year. That is on November 20th. So you can be looking forward to that just about a month away. Yes, we did it for your birthday. Uh, but we'll be doing that again, and as we get closer to it, I'll keep reminding you, but that is a legitimate potluck. Uh, you can't be like, well, Aunt Laurie will bring enough food for everybody. No, she won't. Uh, if you don't bring something, you don't eat. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but bring stuff, and I'll keep reminding you and announcing it as we get closer to it, uh, as well that that service will be, it'll start later. It's not going to start at 9.30, it'll start at like 10.30-ish, uh, because we're eating lunch, and I mean, we could eat at 9.30, I could eat at 9.30. Uh, Maddie is always amazed at the amount of food that I could ingest throughout a day, and she's like, how are you hungry? And I'm like, well, I, I ate an hour ago. That's a long enough time, but either way. Uh, so we're getting close to that, but for the next couple of weeks. We're going to continue walking through Acts, then we'll take a little break, then we'll get back into Acts, and then we'll take a break. You know how it is. Uh, Acts is a fairly long book. It's going to take us a while to get through it. We are in Acts chapter 4, and if you remember, the last thing we talked about at the end of Acts chapter 3 was Peter and John healing the lame man, right? Uh, and Peter being impulsive was like, hey, get up. And we talked about how that lame man wasn't healed by the power of Peter and John, right? He's healed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, working through them. And if the Holy Spirit didn't want to heal that man, that man wasn't going to be healed. Peter could have been the best doctor that ever lived. That man was not going to be healed. But God wanted him to, and we talked about the fact as well. Peter and John obviously had not been neglecting spending time with God throughout the, the intervening weeks and days and such. Because if they had, they would not have known that's what God wanted them to do was to heal that man. And we talked about that you've got to spend time with God. If you want to know what the will of God is, you want to walk in the will and the power and the authority of God, you have to be spending time with him. 
right? So today we're going to talk about it's the immediate aftermath in Acts chapter 4 of that happening. Remember, right, the guy got up and he's jumping all around. And people are like, isn't that the guy that we've been giving money to for a while? Uh, and they're like, what's happening? And he's like, these two heal me with the power of God, right? It's great. So let's look at in Acts chapter 4. What happens immediately after this, especially to Peter and John, and then to the surrounding people? And we'll talk about it. Acts chapter 4, here, verses 1 through 12. It reads like this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men who came to be, uh, who came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Ananias the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high, of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I left out one key part that happens immediately after this guy gets, gets healed, right? At the very end of chapter 3, Peter gives his second sermon, and he just smacks them all across the face with salvation about what they have done, right? And we read right here that five thousand more people get saved. Peter is a pretty good preacher, right? The first one was two, three thousand. This one is five. He's really doing a good job here. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees really don't like it. So let's talk about it. Number one on your note sheets there, you don't know. You don't know. This whole thing 5,000 people getting saved, Peter preaching this sermon, is a continuation from the direct point of Jesus, of, of the Holy Spirit, healing this man. So what don't you know? Well, if you're like me, quite a lot. What you don't know is what God's going to do with any given situation. You and I can't see the future. We can't. There is no way for us to discern. We know a couple of things about the future, exactly what God has told us in his word. But what you don't know is what exact moment is going to do something awesome. Peter and John, on their way to the temple that day, did not know they were going to heal a man. Or I should say that God was going to use them to heal a man. And then when they did, Peter did not know that his sermon he preached was going to get an additional 5,000 people saved that day. Thousands of people. Mark this because this is an incredible thing. Thousands of people who were on their way to hell were then on their way to heaven. That's a way bigger miracle than healing the lame man. You don't know what that thing is, what the catalyst is going to be. All you know is what the Holy Spirit tells you to do in that moment. If he says, hey, help that person by the side of the road. Give them a quick ride. You don't know what that's going to do. Now, I'm not advocating you should pick up every single person that's on the side of the road, right? I had a moment, and, and I had a good out for this, right? When I was uh, uh, younger, like 21-ish, right? So 
seven, eight years ago now, I was driving this little blue Echo, tiniest car in the world. If you sneezed in it, it would go like this. It was great, great car. It was technically owned by my parents. And my dad gave me one very specific rule that I remember, you probably gave more than one, but one very specific rule that I remember about driving that car. Do you remember what it was? You will. There was a short list of one, two, three, four, five or six women I was allowed to drive in that car. If they did not meet the list, I needed to call my parents and ask them. As well, I could drive more men around in it, but I still had to ask if it was somebody else. There was a list because they said it's our car. One, I know I have a 21-year-old son who's an idiot. I'll protect him from being an idiot as long as I can. I'm very thankful for that. So one day I was on my way and a, per, uh, a pastor was in the car with me and I was driving up to um, uh, the church that I was working at at the time. And there was a person that needed on the side of the road that needed a ride and it was a, it was a woman and he stopped and he picked her up and we took her to uh, the mechanic for where her car was and stuff like that. Uh, and afterward he goes, now would you have done that, Sam? And I said, no. And he went, well, why not? And I said, because it's my car and my parents had a, we were in his car, by the way. Uh, I, I said, in my car that I drive, which is owned by my parents and I still live with my parents, so therefore I'm still under their rules. By the way, there's a couple of people in here that still live with their parents, i.e. I see one back there at least and two, I'm assuming. Uh, if you live under your parents' roof, their rules. Sorry about it. You don't have to like it, but you gotta follow. Am I right? I am 28 years old and married, and I go up to my parents' house for dinner, for lunch, on Sunday afternoons, and the rules still apply to me at my father's house, because it's his house, he sets the rules, right? So it was his car, he set the rules on the car, and I said no, because my dad gave me very clear rules. And he goes, what if God told you to do it? And I said he would not, because God's not going to ask me to sin. He will not ask me to disobey a direct order from my parents. That is not in itself sin, right? My dad was like, I need you to go kill that guy. And God said, no, don't do it. I should follow the Holy Spirit there, right? But since it was not a sin that my parents had told me I must do, it would be a sin if I disobeyed them, no matter the circumstance, right? So I want to put that out there. The Holy Spirit's not going to ask you to do something that is against his word, and his word says, honor your mother and father and obey them. So as long as they're not asking you to sin, you have to obey them. And it's a sin to disobey them no matter the situation, right? But that whole story has really nothing to do with the sermon today. You just got a second mini-sermon there. Um, but the, the point is, you don't know what that little moment's going to be, right? That could cause something massive to happen that you may or may not be involved in, right? I say this all the time, but it's, it's so pertinent. Nobody really knows the name of you know, of, of Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. Nobody knows. I mean, there's probably somebody who does, but it's not well known. Billy Graham is one of the, if not the greatest evangelists of modern times. He helped get thousands of people saved. She was just a good Sunday school teacher, or he, right? They just did what God asked them to do. Billy Graham probably made one choice and it propelled, right? You don't know, but know this. This is what you can know. God will always have a bigger plan than your tiny moment. And it might seem like a massive moment to you. I'm not trying to downplay our own lives, 
But I am saying in the grand scheme of things, one moment for you is really not that big. But God will use that to do bigger things. You don't know what the plan is. So one, don't pretend to. And two, hop on for the ride. It's a great ride. And see what God's got in store. Okay, so that's, I I just wanted to point that out because that's kind of, when I was reading through this section, I went, boy, does God just have a bigger plan than everything we see, right? Number two on your note sheets, though. Number two, dry throat. Uh, Number two, trust God. Trust God. So we read here, right, the the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the the temple guard and all that, they grab Peter and John and they're like, what you doing? And Peter, it says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Notice, these are not Peter's words. These are God's. I'm not talking about what we think of when we say filled with the Spirit in a Pentecostal charismatic sense here. I'm talking about this is a filling of the Spirit that can happen to any believer that is willing to allow God to work through them. Peter and, and I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet most of the money in the world that if the Holy Spirit had not come upon Peter there and Peter had allowed the Holy Spirit's words to flow through him, Peter would have said something really dumb. How do I know? We have plenty of examples earlier in Scripture of Peter saying dumb things. I think he would have done it again. But he is in the Holy Spirit. He's walking with the Spirit. And the Spirit goes... Hey, I got this. Now, I would wager as well that the Holy Spirit was not like writing it in the air and Peter was reading it, right? There wasn't a prompt card for Peter to read off of. So how could Peter do this stuff, right? Well, one, traveling with Jesus for three years, I'm guessing he must have picked up on something, right? Hearing all those sermons and all that kind of stuff, right? And two, he's spending time with God. He didn't have the New Testament as we had it, but he would have had the Old Testament scrolls. And he would have known to just spend some time with God just talking to him. Being filled with the Holy Spirit to speak, I'm going to tell you, it's not that God can't. It's that God rarely does bring something to your mind you have never seen before or never known before. He, He very rarely does it. It doesn't work like that. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit to speak, it is out of something that you have already looked at and studied. And maybe you've forgotten about it, but the Holy Spirit doesn't forget. And Peter allows the Holy Spirit to speak through him to give this incredible testimony of who Jesus is. If you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you, you've got to be in the Spirit. And if you're going to be in the Spirit, you've got to trust it. Now, this whole thing, right, I can see uh, uh, on some of your faces, and it was on mine, too, for a long time, right? The whole thing of, oh, i got to trust the Spirit and be in the Spirit. Isn't that a little too not physical? You're darned right it is. I told Aunt Lori this morning, um, somebody came up to me a couple of weeks ago and was like, you know, that was a great sermon. You preach great sermons. I'm like, well, yeah, I do. I'm excellent. What do I have to say? No. No. I said, I said, I I, I told him, I said, you wouldn't believe the number of sermons on a Sunday morning for me over the past four and a half years that I have, right? I've got a note sheet and it's literally the exact same as your note sheet, except I have them already filled in. It'd be a bad thing if I didn't because I'd be like, well, I don't know what that word's supposed to be. 
And oftentimes, now it's not today, but oftentimes I'll have little handwritten notes, little sayings I want to make sure that I say, or a certain, a scripture passage, and I'm like, I want to reference this, that sort of thing, right? I take, as I'm preaching the sermon to get ready for it, I take my own notes on it, so I'm ready for Sunday. Uh, this Sunday I didn't have to do that, but a lot of times it does. Um, but I said, you would be amazed at how many times I've got this note sheet right here, and I'm preaching, and God doesn't change the the subject, he doesn't change the scripture passage, but I walk out of a Sunday morning and go, where in the world did that come from? Because it didn't come from me. I think it came from the Spirit, as God said, here you go. And there's been a couple of times when people, if I can brag on my grandma for just a moment, she would come up to me after church every Sunday and tell me how good it was. I think she was obligated to, because I'm her grandson. That's not true. All of you knew her. She would have told me if I stunk. But every once in a while, she would come up to me and go, Sam, that, she didn't call me Pastor Sam. I, I told her to, but she wouldn't. She'd say, Sam, that spoke exactly to what I am dealing with. And I tell you, church, every single time, it was not the sermon I had prepared. It was a sermon God had me ramble out that Sunday morning. You don't have to be like, being in the spirit does not mean you're just wishy-washy and going wherever the wind blows, not at all. In fact, being in the spirit means you are grounded in what the word says. Being in the spirit means you are solid, standing on solid rock. If you are not in the spirit, that's when you're wishy-washy. That's when you're building on sinking sand, right? We, we, you, most of you grew up Baptist, you know that song, right? On Christ the solid rock and then you gotta build the builder, build his house on the sand, Right? You remember that one? It's all right. The point of the story is the builder built his house on the sand. It was this great house, and then the, wave, the, the storm came and washed it all away. But the guy built a, a house on the rock, and the winds and the rains came, and the rock didn't wash away, which um, is great, except for it's a great metaphor, except for the fact that like, places like the Grand Canyon were literally built by water, washing away the rock. So, I don't know. Whoever wrote that song was not a geologist. No, but the fact of the matter is, right, when you are in the spirit, you are standing on solid ground. And yes, things like being in the spirit means, hey, there have been Sunday mornings. It's not often. I, I can count on one hand the number of times this has happened where God says, hey, I know you prepped this song this week. Screw that. I've got one I want you to do. I'm like, you couldn't have told me Monday? Nope. Trust me? All right, fine. I learned eventually so that every single song we do, the PowerPoint is on a flash drive that I bring over here with me so that just in case God switches it on me before service begins, I can switch it really quick, right? Being in the spirit means when we do, you know, we're doing like the night and this kid comes up to you and is, you, you can tell there's just something off about it. That's not that they're mean or anything like that. You can tell there's something off about it. And so you dive a little deeper. Being in the spirit is when you're, you know, you're, you're, being in the spirit is when you're out at the restaurant and you're like, well, I tip 20%. I'm a good tipper. And the Holy Spirit goes, hey, why don't you bump that up a little bit this time? Why don't you bump that up? And, and in, unbidden into your mind, you'll go, well, she doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. They don't know I'm a Christian or anything like that. I'm tipping 20, 25%. That's a great tip. It's great. It's great. It's fine. It's not fine if the Holy Spirit says, hey, I need you to give more. Being in the Spirit is when you listen to the promptings of the Spirit, and to listen to the promptings, you've got to recognize his voice. I, uh, I don't think my dad can do it right now. Probably not, and I don't think I can pull it off. My dad had a very specific whistle that it was high-pitched and loud, 
and I could be on the other side of a store, and you hear that whistle, and it meant go to the appointed meeting place. It was to call us, it was so we could recognize him, and it was so in case there was a moment of danger or something like that, we didn't have to freak out. He would whistle, and we knew where to go, right? I recognized it. Now, I don't know if you sat us down one day and just here's the whistle, and we went over it until we knew it. But I also recognized it because my dad did it. And I learned to recognize it. If you're going to recognize the voice of God, it means you have to be spending time with him because you've got to recognize it, right? If you don't know somebody, you won't recognize their voice. If, I don't see, if you don't see me for years and I come and start speaking, you won't recognize my voice anymore, which is all right. The fact of the matter is, if you're going to do what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do, you have to recognize it. We've kind of jumped into the let's apply it. So let's work on applying it, right? Kind of just transitioned right into that. If you want to recognize the, the, the voice of God, which is what Peter does right here, and he gives this incredible thing about, hey, listen, and I love this part, right? In, in verse 10, he's talking about Jesus Christ the Nazarene, comma, whom you crucified, comma, don't ever let somebody tell you God isn't sarcastic or doesn't have a sense of humor because he sure does and he sure is sarcastic whom you crucified, right? He gives this incredible response about who God is and thousands of people are getting saved and the Pharisees and the Sadducees have no response to any of it It's because he recognized the voice of God because he had been spending time with him. Church, you might say, Pastor, you've been saying this quite a lot over the past months, spending time with God, spend time with God, spend time with God. Are you going to say something else? No, not until we're all doing it. Not until we are all, and I don't just mean you guys, right? Or me. I mean every single person that says they're a Christian, if, until they are spending time with God daily. doesn't have to be hours, but daily. I'm going to keep saying it. Do you realize how incredible it is that we have a book that is God's words to us? How incredible a miracle really that is. And we don't want to spend time with it, with him in it. We are as a church, and I'm going to brag on you guys now as a church, right? As a church, we are making, I think, some incredible differences in the lives of people around us, right? Both inside this church and outside of it. As over the past four and a half years, this church, I think, has stepped up to the plate that God has asked for. We've hit a lot of singles. We've hit some doubles, right? It's been great. I think God wants us to do more. I don't know what, but more. I know this, we will not do more unless we as a body of believers, including me, right? All of us are in the word and in it with him. So we recognize his voice. So the moment that God says, go, we don't have to hesitate. We just go. But you got to spend time with him, right? And here's the scary thing. Here's the scary part. You've spent time with him, that's great. You're out there in the situation, that is great. Now for Pete's sake, get out of the way and allow the spirit to do its thing. Step aside and let the spirit work. He can do it better than you or I could. 
That does not mean, right, don't, don't take that to mean, well, I guess they don't need me at the light the night. The Holy Spirit's going to work. If none of you showed up to light the night, the Holy Spirit would still work. You are 100% correct. Be a lot easier if you did. Just saying. The Holy Spirit chooses to use us. What I mean by get out of the way is don't put your own presupposition, presuppositions on it. Don't be like, it has to be this way. Don't put God in a box that he won't put himself in, right? There are certain boxes in scripture God puts himself in. You can put God in the box that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He says it many times throughout scripture. You can put God in the box that he loves you unconditionally. You can put God in the box that he is a wrathful God as well, a holy wrathful God as well. He puts himself in that box. You can put God in the box that he's a jealous God. He says that he is. Don't put God in the box that, for instance... I don't know how many of you noticed this. We have gone over the past six months or so, give or take, we have gone from doing two songs on a Sunday morning to three to now four. If you need to work out a little bit during the week so you can stand throughout that whole thing, here's your warning. No. Right? If you say, our service goes like this, it goes boom, 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 and we're not doing any differently. That's putting God in a box. He doesn't put himself in. Now, we will follow the same general, right? The same general idea of how the service flows. That's the way it works. But the fact of the matter is that we shouldn't put God in a box for how a service works. Because if God says, hey, I want you to sing the doxology five times today, we'd better do it five times. Right? If he says, I want you to read the entirety of Psalm um, 119, we're going to do it. We'll be here a while. But we'll get, for those of you that don't know, Psalm 119 is the longest book in the entirety of Scripture, right? Or, or longest chapter, I should say, right? Our job is not to put God in a box. Our job is to go, okay, God, what is it you want to do? And then step out of the way and let him work. Let him use the strengths and gifts and abilities he has given you and me to do incredible things. And then turn around and give the glory to him. Peter and John heal a lame man and then 5,000 people get saved and then give the greatest response to the Pharisees and Sadducees who are asking, in whose name, with what power and authority are you doing this? Because they were walking in the spirit and because they got out of the way and let the spirit work. I know for a fact God wants to do awesome things. How do I know? He says it, he does. I know he wants to use us to do them. Right here in Little New Milford or Halstead, Great Bend, right where, this area, right? Kingsley, right? All of this whole area. He wants to do incredible things. And he wants to use you and me to do them. I don't know what. I don't know how it's going to look. I know he's going to do them because he already has. And I know he's going to keep doing them. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, right? I, the title of the sermon was No Good Deed, right? And you guys will all know the saying, right? No good deed goes unpunished. I'm twitching, switching that a little bit. No good deed goes unused by God. He will use it to his glory, his power, his authority to do incredible things. And he wants to use you and me to do it. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to first thank you that your spirit talks to us. Yes, through the words, through our, the intuitions you give us, through our conscience, through all that, Father. Your, your spirit speaks to us. I ask that we would, one, learn to recognize your voice. Learn to recognize your voice. And two, I pray that when we know it is your voice, we would step out of the way and let you work. We would do exactly as it is you are telling us to do. 
and do it mightily. I'm asking for this church. I'm not just asking. I'm thanking you so much that this church has come together and rallied together to, to, to do an awesome work in people's lives around us, both inside these walls and outside of them. But I know there's more you want to do, and I'm thanking you for what you are, you've been preparing to do and are going to pull off and going to do. Father, I just ask that you would be with each one of us. You would impress upon us to spend time with you and then to do what you say. Father, I praise you. Um, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.